Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am Jason Napolitano, and on the line I have Mr. Chris Sheridan. What's going on, Chris? It's another day, another day out in the world and in nature. All right, I like that. Yeah. I spent uh, a little bit of time in the in the backyard. It's not a exactly wild nature, but I did uh, see some birds uh, doing their thing and uh, gathering up stuff for their nests. And I watched a few uh, lizards go about their hunting and some hummingbirds eat some nectar and uh, do some pollinating. So I've seen a bit of nature today. So that's, that's nice. You know, you can find it, you can find it in your own backyard, as they say. Squirrels uh, birds over here. That was, that was my day. <laughs> All right, perfect. That's every day. Yeah, right. So and I'm, and I'm sure at some point we'll hear some nature of a dog barking in the background as we usually are graced with. So and that's all part of the beauty of the Cosmic Eye Show and the beauty of nature intruding into our world. Not intruding. Let me not say that. It is. Um, well, it feels like it in a way because you live in this you know, other yeah. world. Uh, yeah. you know, nature shows up again. Oh, no. Yeah, right. Uh, interest, interestingly enough, that is our that is our topic today, right? So we are talking about the healing uh, power of nature, and this comes from a great lecture that Chris did some wonderful work on uh, on the audio uh, and put up on the Manly Hall Society uh, channel on YouTube. So go and check that out. I think you'll really enjoy this lecture. Uh, it's it's called like I said the healing power of nature and this was a uh, this is one of his older lectures right Chris nineteen they're they're all older but yeah yeah uh, fifty nine okay interesting that it's what sixty you know two years old and it uh, you know could have been given in the seventies or just last week yeah exactly. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. And, you know, we're going to talk about some of those parts of it that we that we thought both of us thought are particularly relevant. So I think that uh, the listener is going to find this to be a great, uh, a great topic. So we're going to be talking about this lecture, basically. So this is uh, Manly Hall's uh, lecture that he gives. We're kind of going to just give you some highlights from it and I highly encourage you to check that out. And also, please uh, subscribe to Chris's uh, Manly Hall Society uh, channel. He's doing really great work over there, restoring this audio and making Manly Hall's uh, lectures available uh, for free on there. And please, uh, if you can, donate to to the work that he's doing because you're you're doing a tremendous amount of work on that, Chris. And you know we appreciate that. And I, as a Manly Hall fan, uh, applaud you. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Uh, so, so that is our topic today. So basically, this this uh, this lecture that that Manly Hall uh, entitled "Healing Power of Nature." Uh, is about uh, Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau's Walden. So we're taking, you know, we're speaking about Manley Hall's take on Thoreau's work. Uh, so if you have not uh, read uh, Walden, which I, neither of us actually have, I'm going to be honest, uh, and now I want to, I think that if you, you know, you hear what we have to say about it and you listen to actually Manley Hall's lecture, you're probably going to want to read the book for yourself if you have any interest in, in nature or ecology. Um, so, so definitely check that out. Uh, we're at uh, CosmicEye.org. If you want to uh, reach out to us, you can uh, hit us up there or, or go through uh, email, uh, info at CosmicEye.org. Uh, Chris's book is The Spirit in the Sky Minds, If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. So those are both available on Amazon. So please support us if you can. 
Uh, and if you wish to uh, support the uh, the podcast here, we are at anchor.fm slash cosmic eyes. So that's, uh, that's our stuff there. So let's jump into this healing power of nature. Um, why don't you give us a little background, um, just real, real brief about, about Thoreau and, um, you know, and the transcendentalists as you kind of remember it. I mean, we don't need to go deep, but just to kind of, you know, contextualize it if, if people aren't familiar with when this was written and so forth and, and all of that. Okay, well, this would have been in the uh, mid 1800s, uh, so about 150 years ago um, or more. Uh, Pre-Civil War, there were the Transcendentalists in New England. Um, Emerson uh, was really kind of the father of that. Um, and he knew Thoreau. Uh, I think Emerson was older and Thoreau was a little more of a, an understudy um, or apprentice, as it were. Um, you know, we can talk about apprentices now that are maybe learning a mechanical trade or something like that, or being uh, an intern or something where you learn. Uh, but back then and sometimes now, and certainly a lot more in, in uh, Greek times, uh, old ancient Greek philosophy, the having a teacher, having a mentor, uh, Alexander, uh, Alexander the Great um, had Aristotle as his teacher. Uh, so it was not uncommon uh, for somebody to support somebody else. And I believe Emerson helped Thoreau get through, uh, in and through Harvard, uh, because he really felt, uh, you know, he was worthy of, of that, uh, or at least interceded on his behalf. And then at some point, uh, well, actually this, this whole transcendentalist movement uh, was, you know, intellectuals, uh, spiritual people. Emer Emerson came from a uh, ministerial um, uh, background uh, found that he had other ideas. <laughs> you know, a lot of people have come to some of these uh, ancient uh, wisdom teachings through another path, uh, finding that maybe it isn't sufficient uh, or, um, you know, rising to the, the needs. Uh, and some of these older traditions, timeless uh, ancient wisdom, uh, really has some value. Yeah you know, spiritually and personally, deeply personal. Um, so, so there was, you know, it was intellectual, you know, these people were well read, they had access to uh, materials um, from, that was hard to acquire uh, at that time, you know, from Europe or from other uh, sources, more ancient sources, you had to really find an old book, they couldn't just download it. So, uh, so there was this kind of a crucible of ideas on consciousness, well, and this transcendentalism, um, if people aren't familiar too, you know, does have a lot of uh, Eastern uh, Indian philosophy in it. And so it's my understanding that they had early access to uh, some of the first translations of the Upanishads and some of the great Indian classics, uh, so that they were some of the first um, scholars and, and, you know, lay, lay people to introduce those ideas into the United States. And, and you're talking about in the 1850s. So this is well before the early 1900s and mid 1900s when yoga philosophy began to make its way west through the gurus and so on, right? So these guys were, were sort of early pioneers in this area, weren't they? Well, they definitely were. And like the old Lyceum days in ancient Greece, uh, this meeting place where they could gather and share ideas. Uh, this is really what was happening. 
Uh, and I think that's something that's just maybe an aside, or maybe it's not an aside, maybe it's right on target, is that I think that seems to be missing now. Uh, there's all kinds of information, there's libraries worth of you can get on your phone now, you can get Walden, you can probably read it for free, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, from many sources. Um, but this having this conversation, kind of I think what we're doing, this is one of the things that we, you know, having this more conversational type of a podcast, uh, it's not really an interview. Um, it's more of an exchange of ideas or taking an idea, say, uh, you know, throws Walden and, uh, and talking about it now, just like they were then talking about older ideas and how does this fit into modern 1850 New England <laughs> at their time, you know, their contemporary time. Yeah, exactly. That's, so, a, great, that's a great point. I, I, I want to say that, you know, and I hope that, you know, the listener uh, feels like, you know, they're part of the conversation as well. And this is why, you know, we, we, we encourage you guys to, to, you know, send us emails. And if you have questions, or there's things you want to discuss, or, you know, to leave messages on, on anchor and so forth, so that we, you know, it can be a more of a conversation and more of a sort of a, an interaction, right? Definitely, definitely. Any ideas or counter ideas, <laughs> complaints? Absolutely. Having, having many voices, you know, and maybe at some point we can do a live stream where we can get uh, actually get people in real time uh, adding to the conversation because I think it would only make it better. And I think technology is at a point where, where we certainly can. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk then a little bit about, uh, about the book. So, so the book Walden uh, is really a, is an autobiographical account of, of Thoreau's experience where he retired to a little cabin on Walden Pond um, and he was there for two years, two months, and two days, if I am not mistaken. And he recorded his, his experiences there. And so he was trying to live a more natural life, more in touch with nature, simpler, and so on. And so it was an experiment, really, uh, in, in simple living. And you know, this book and his ideas actually influenced uh, Gandhi. Um, his uh, essay, Civil Disobedience, influenced both Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. So these ideas are really quite prevalent in some of our, you know, our modern ideas of, of social justice and, you know, equality and, and even the civil, you know, the civil rights movement was, was largely um, uh, influenced by, by his work directly and in, indirectly. Um, so that's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thing. Also, he uh, was a was he was an abolitionist and he was a supporter of abolitionists. Uh, so you know, so this it makes sense why that that was picked up on by people like Gandhi and, and King. Uh, so so really an important book, and and I definitely need to read it. And after listening to this work, uh, I am I am motivated to do so. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of the highlights and ideas in this. Um, and we'll just kind of go randomly some of the things that struck us in this. And again, like I encourage you, you know, if you're not necessarily going to read the book to listen to Manley Hall's uh, more in-depth uh, discussion of this, because because we'll talk about, you know, probably for about 40 minutes. And he he goes uh, into great depth and uh, in that in that lecture. So we encourage that. So let me hand it to you then. Why don't you just um, tell me? something that you know really stuck out to you that you really liked about this lecture and you think is really poignant today. And then uh, we'll talk about that and then I'll bring something up. We'll just kind of go back and forth. Well, sure, what struck me immediately was 
you know, in what, 1847 um, in Concord, uh, New England, that you know, a town of 2,000 people um, before the Industrial Revolution really took hold in, in America, um, that was breakneck speed and pressure and um, so filled with, you know, the trappings of civilization that he had to take a retreat from that. I think most of us now um, could go back to where he was living in Concord in 1850 uh, even in downtown Concord, and that would be like a retreat. That would be like going back to nature. That would be like, um, you know, living more simply. But the parallel is still true. So for Thoreau, in his time, in his, in his world, his circle, um, he needed that retreat in Walden to get away from it. We now need a similar Walden. Um, although, you know, it may be just camping for a weekend or something, you know, even with all the camp gear, uh, that for a lot of us would be maybe similar to, you know, we might get some of the same experience that he had. Um, yeah. But, you know, you can even go back to the ancients, you know, they talk about getting out in the world. What did, uh, even in, uh, Jesus in the, the New Testament, didn't he go out in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights? Did uh, indeed. Get away from, get away from it all and think. And I think that's the, you know, that's the thing is, you know, getting away, not to run away, but for a, you know, a reset or a pause uh, to get a respite from, you know, the civilization we're in. Yeah. And so it's interesting because it's to kind of get a picture of it. I'll just paint a little picture because I looked, I looked it up online because I want to see. So he's in this, this very small cabin that he built by hand next to this beautiful uh, little pond. And it was on a, uh, uh, a friend's a friend's land he spent very little money to put it together and he had a little cot and a desk and I think a couple of chairs maybe three chairs or something that are you know wooden and all hand built and so it's very small it's almost like a tiny house today with you know with this tiny house movement that sort of thing maybe even a bit smaller than that uh, and he was growing his own food and trying to live very sustainably uh, which, like you said is very interesting because I mean most people were living very close to the the land already the interesting thing about it, though, is that he, you know, he recognizes that, you know, he talks about farmers quite a bit in this book, but what he was talking about is how we were trying to, um, you know, kind of wrestle with and battle with the land so much, and we were working, you know, people were working so hard to try to make profits and things like that, that they didn't take time to live and enjoy life and really uh, be in the moment with the beauty of the nature that they were trying to conquer. You know, he made that point. And, you know, just to kind of um, add to that, I think it's a great quote from, uh, from Manley Hall, where he says, he did not believe the human being was in this world to become a slave of policies or possessions. Rather, the search was for a free way of life a life in which man becomes wealthy by needing less rather than by possessing more. A life in which man becomes wealthy by needing less rather than possessing more. That is, that is deep. That is deep, isn't it? Well, it is. And that's a lesson I think any of us can take at any time. It doesn't mean to live without uh, or to do without uh, as far as you know, necessities 
certainly for life and for you know pursuit of you know higher things of art and mind um but it's all the other stuff and apparently 1850s new england was just as enamored with useless and irrelevant things <laughs> that we are today you know so it's not really about being you know primitive in that sense uh, but just how much, uh, and I think, you know, maybe this happened a little bit during the, uh, the pandemic over the last year or so, um, we had to live a little bit differently. I don't know if it was more simply, but uh, it was in the sense that the normal routine of things um, got disrupted and we got to question, oh, is this really important? Is this really something that I value now that I'm not just caught up in it? I had a little bit of a pause and a little bit of a distance in some ways like he had um, to go over things. Of course, this was forced upon us through circumstance. His was a deliberate act, um, but many of us have found, and the thing is when you retreat or you go on a, you know, a getaway or you're cloistered away somewhere and you know whether it's in nature or you know maybe it's a, a writing group or something where you're you know sleeping in a bed and doing everything normal but you're not bombarded with the tv you always find something to do i've had experience with that um with a uh, disability um, acting it's a theater workshop and there were you know wounded vets from iraq and afghanistan that um we come back and uh, we were using you know performance uh, writing and, and acting as a way of you know, playing out a catharsis to play out some of their battle wounds so they didn't have to carry them around as much. Uh, but there was you know, no TV, no internet. Um, there was just, you know, we all lived in the same you know, campus environment. It was like living in a dorm uh, for a few weeks. And it's amazing how just sort of automatically you can kind of put that down and then find something else without much prodding uh, or coercion, uh, I think just people naturally find something to, oh, well, here's some board games, well, let's play checkers, well, let's, you know, let's go outside, let's work in the garden, let's, there's always something to do. I think once we get pulled off and maybe unplugged, this fear is that, oh, what do I do without my phone, without this, you'd be surprised. We find lots of things to do. Yeah, um, and you, you adjust to that, that, that pace of life, your internal clock, and your sort of you know, the internal kind of homeostasis of your whole being kind of adjusts very quickly to that, that, that quiet uh, lifestyle, doesn't it? Um, and I, I, you know, we were talking a bit about this before the, before the show, before we started recording this, I had an experience where uh, I was out at uh, an ashram doing uh, my meditation training and uh, you know, I was there for enough time. I was like a month or so, maybe a little more longer uh, that, you know, I'd really got into the rhythm of this, this quiet, sort of reflective, you know, uh, place that's out in nature, um, you know, and my and it really kind of reset my whole being, as it were, uh, so that finally, when I left, um, you know, I got in my car to go after after all this time with all this, you know, great uh, organic food and this, you know, this whole quiet lifestyle and stuff, and then I drove on, you know, got onto the freeway. And it was overwhelming. Um, you know, I was, I mean, I was, it was, I was anxious and I, you know, I had to really focus to, to drive correctly. And it was almost like I forgot how to be in that pace of life. So it's, it's interesting how quickly we can, we can reset uh, out in nature 
And, you know, given a more natural kind of um, rhythm of life, right? Well, yeah. And the, for us, you know, and I'm speaking like, you know, modern Western civilization, going out into nature might feel, at least initially, like the most unnatural thing. It's certainly foreign to a lot of people. It's different uh, in such a dramatic way. Um, but I think that's only because we have normalized this artificial nature or what's natural, and putting natural in air quotes, um, that to us seems natural, is to be constantly agitated and anxious and maybe a little bit paranoid or at least fearful um, and aggressive when you get out on the freeway. You have to be. Yeah. You're not going to survive on LA freeways. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, you, you have to get ramped up and into this, okay, we're going in, you know, <laughs> it's natural, that becomes habituated. Uh, so this contrast, and I think, you know, he really spells it out, but even just reading and, uh, you know, going over analyses about Walden, it's, wow, you know, we can, we can uh, really use a dose of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you talked a little bit about that idea of the, the retreat, and I think that's a really important concept. Um, in terms of if you can carve out some space to take a retreat, and especially if it's out in nature, and even if, you know, it's not maybe the first thing you would think of doing, all the better, because uh, it's so important to be able to get ourselves back into the natural flow of life. Um, you know, and we get so, and I say we, again, in your same sense, than the Western, you know, modern world that we live in, uh, so disconnected from the natural rhythms of life, we've got, you know, electricity and lights keeping us up all night, and we've got heat keeping us warm all the time, we've got AC keeping us cool. And so, you know, we're, we're not really in the natural rhythms and cycles of life, you know, our showers are heated. And, you know, and, uh, you know, again, I, Chris probably knows where I'm going with this, but I started doing the, the Wim Hof uh, method of of cold showers recently i have to tell you a, a cold shower or a cold bath is a, is hugely invigorating it's a, it's a weird thing uh it's wildly uncomfortable but um it puts you back into this sort of natural rhythm and it you know it, it, it's apparently it's quite good for your immune system and it resets things but it, it's it's one of those things where it would be like you know in a natural world we'd be bathing in a cold stream a cold pond you know, and so it, you know, we're, we're, we're really adapted for that kind of environment. This, the way that we're living over the last, you know, few hundred years is, you know, our, our development, you know, our hundreds of thousands of years of, you know, of, of evolutionary development, millions of years of evolutionary development, the whole scheme of things and, and beyond, um, you know, is really, it, it's idealized for, us living out in a more natural setting. Um, so, you know, we've got to, we've got to at times put ourselves in, you know, into back into that, that natural world in order for us to be in, in kind of in tune with the way we work as human beings and with the way the earth works naturally. Right. Right. And, you know, in the bigger picture, which I think a lot of times we don't, uh, really spend much time looking at. Um, yes, we have warm showers and we have air conditioning and uh, we can live on any continent um, in these harsh conditions. Uh, nature will still win though. 
you know, we have not achieved a victory. No. Maybe our comfort, um, our creature comforts have, and I'm all for that. I'll stick to my warm showers, thank you. But uh, um, we are so, I think in need, I think it's like we're lost in a sense. Uh, like E.T. wants to find home, you know, and what did he do? Well, he was all about plants and gardening and things like that, and he's not even from here. Uh, I, I think we're hungry for that uh, in the larger sense, and, and not to be too enamored with our modern technology and the things that we've done. Our accomplishments are great, indeed. Um, but to compare that to what nature can do. Like here we are trying, well, how do we solve the food crisis? And well, we have to seed the clouds so it'll rain. And we're, we're, we're trying to make nature do all these things that it naturally does anyway. Uh, but we want it done over here. We want it done now. Um, or we've somehow perverted or disrupted the natural way that nature can't really operate the way it normally should without our our troubles. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, one of the, the things about that is that I, I think we've, you know, we've got a false sense of security with with technology, you know, and it's allowed us in some ways to to subvert and dominate the uh, the natural order of things to some degree. But like you said, at, you know, in the end, you know, nature will win. And, you know, th that's the thing about it. It's like we have to use technology where it's appropriate and allow natural systems uh, to to work where they need to, you know, and it's the same within ourselves. Like, so, you know, we have natural resources for healing within us, um, you know, but we're so maybe enamored with, you know, pharmacies and you know modern ways of doing things and you know allopathic you know sort of normal western medicine and so on that we forget that all of that stuff really just kind of helps the natural healing process that already exists with within us uh, nature is the same way it already has its own natural rhythm its own natural healing process and so on its own way of doing things uh, really if we would just kind of get in harmony with that uh, we would be much we would be much better off and allow the natural systems to do their jobs you know if you know and for example you were talking about seeding the you know seeding the clouds and so on it's like you know what we need to do is seed the seed the earth with some trees you know and plant those up and and, and you know regrow our forests and you know take, take care of the marshlands again and and things like that and rebuild the estuary systems and you know allow these things to come back into natural order and allow some of these rivers to go back in their natural courses and so on and take some of these dams out that are you know that are obstructing things and so on and figure out you know better ways to do things and allow the earth to do what it needs to do and we work in harmony with it instead of against it. So there's a great quote. Let me go ahead and read this one because we talked about this one uh, before the show and you like this one as well. Uh, I'll start at the beginning. So just to, so you get a context of the whole thing, but he says, thus, we all live by the side of the inner pool of our own psychic selves. He's talking about, and he's likening that to Walden Pond, that it's, that it's also, you know, we also have an inner pool. We can study this pool in its depths and observe the wonderful life that lives within it. And we can see everywhere living things, things moving, things constantly fulfilling their destinies. And we can become observers of great motions in nature, of the heavens and of the earth. And we can observe all these things toward the attainment 
of a certain serene humility, a gradual recognition that we are not here to defeat nature, but to fulfill her, that we are not here to gain a military victory over the earth, but rather to come into partnership with the earth, that we are here not to be masters over life, but friends of life. I mean, that's, and this is 1959 when Manley Hall is talking about this. And these are ideas that are still difficult for people to grasp. I mean, this is permaculture and the whole ecological movement and sustainability in a nutshell, isn't it, Chris? Well, it is. And it's further evidence that this ancient wisdom that we you know, spend a lot of time going over and try to bring into our lives today still works. It's still relevant. It's still very important. And in some ways, looking at something from 50, 60 years ago, uh, really, just like he was looking at his time, 100 years before um, when Thoreau was at Walden, we're looking back 60 years at when Manley Hall was talking about that and listening to his words, like, wow, how far have we come? But it's still the same thing and the same story plays out. And I like what he said about, you know, working with nature, fulfilling nature, not conquering nature, but to come in harmony with nature. And you can do that and still keep, you know, your cars and your houses and your running water and, you know, indoor plumbing and things like that. It's not to, it's not to go back to the, uh, you know, living in trees, uh, but we can do, it's more like how you go about it. You know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Energy, you know, you can strip mine, uh, you know, miles of, of, you know, beautiful land uh, to get some cold burn and spew sulfur and everything else so you can power your electric car, I guess, uh, or anything else. Uh, but there's also, you know, wave, um, they're not, they're electrical generators that you use the waves coming in, mm -hmm. going out. Sure, yeah. It moves like a flipper flapper thing, and that turns a turbine which then runs a generator and, and makes electricity of course we have wind and uh, solar getting out of that's using nature that's going with nature in the natural way um, and there's a lot we can learn about nature I think that's you know a lot what uh, Thoreau is getting at is that it can be an instructor it's uh, an instructor yeah great point you know eat and you know feed and, and do all the things and plant and reap and so and, and everything that's a huge part of it but he goes the extra mile and i think this is really getting to the core of emerson or of thoreau and manly hall's analysis of it is that this is entirely psychological this is consciousness it's our inner walden it's our inner retreat it's our own inner nature we don't, in a way, if we can do it right, we don't have to go out into nature. It'd be nice if we could, uh, but we have, we are part of that nature. We have that within us. Like you're talking about the, you know, pharmacology that, that's inside our bodies. We can secrete enzymes and hormones and uh, adrenaline and, and all these things. We don't really need it to come from outside uh, for the most part to live naturally, but to live unnaturally, like we are, we have to have these artificial, unnatural ways of thinking. And not just what we're putting into our body, but what we're putting into our minds and how we're using them. Uh, I think we're, you know, as 
we seem to be progressing and uh, getting above some of these things uh, that can be, you know, painful and harsh in this environment. Uh, we're also separating ourselves from it in a consciousness way, which is really separating ourselves from ourselves. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I and I I, I like again, and we talked about this last week, but there's you know, there's a, there's a holistic connection between the inner and outer worlds. And I think that's where, uh, that's what Thoreau was touching on and Manley Hall was also speaking about in this, in this, um, in this lecture is that, you know, as, you know, we work on ourselves in, in our inner life and do the, the spiritual work that we need to do. And that's what this whole idea of eco-spirituality and so on that we're, we're talking about and thinking of. Um, you know, we begin to act in different ways. We begin to put ourselves in harmony with the natural orders uh, of the way the, the, the earth works, the cycles of the earth and so on. Um, and that puts us in a, 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 a sort of spiritual order within uh, because we're working with the way that the universe is unfolding and evolving through us and through the earth and you know, through the cosmos. And, you know, we're putting ourselves in touch with that order within and without, you know, and you, you mentioned last, last time the, the hermetic axiom as above, so below as within, so without, you know, so it's a, it's, it's an inside job. And then what happens, you know, once you begin to, uh, to go into the depths within, uh, you know, through your observations and your inner quietude, and maybe some, some, uh, maybe a, through a retreat or whatever you do, or just finding these resources within yourself in your day-to-day -day life, you find yourself just living in, in a more harmonious fashion. And you begin needing less and wanting less. And then like, like Manly Hall, you know, you can become wealthy by needing less rather than by possessing more. And that's, you know, you talked a little bit uh, previously about, you know, yeah, we, we, we need running water and we need electricity and we don't want to go backwards and stuff. But it's interesting because we actually need quite a bit less than we, you know, we use. We we we're very uh, wasteful in this country. I mean, we just have to admit it. It's you know, we use something like thirty percent of the world's energy supply or something in any given time in the United States. And you know, we have like a like a quarter of the population of India, and they you know they use less they use less energy than we do. We use less. We use more energy than China does. They have a billion people. I mean, it's it's incredible. So a lot of this is just inefficiency and waste and 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 so forth uh, in the way that we're doing things. And so when we're looking at nature as a model and learning from her, uh, like you said, as if she becomes our teacher, we begin to do things. There is no waste in nature. There's no such thing. Everything is used. If something dies, it 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 you know it, it works its way down into the soil and it's eaten by organisms and bacteria and it's you know eaten by other living creatures. You know, a, a, you know, you've got the, the carrion type animals, you know, a vulture comes down and eats the carcass, like everything is used by something. There is no such thing as waste, everything is sustainable, you know, but we've gotten out of the harmony of working with nature in the way that it naturally unfolds. And we think that we can subvert it, fill up landfills and, you know, strip mine, like you said, and we can just cut down forests wholesale. Uh, and, and, you know, and think that, you know, I mean, these, these things are some of them, you know, the old growth forests, we're not going to see them in our lifetime, we're not going to see them in several lifetimes ever, you know, they, they can come back. But you know, they're a 1000 years old, 2000 years old, some of these trees. And so you're not gonna, you know, those things are not gonna, you know, we're not gonna see them in our lifetime, obviously. 
So the, but you can start by protecting and conserving those areas and allowing them to regrow so that generations from now, you know, they're still here. Um, but that's, you know, that's how the earth works. You know, it's working in natural order. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole process at work. And if we can observe and learn from, uh, from nature, it helps us to heal within. And then we can help, consequently, we can help nature not because we're the, we're the biggest uh, threat to our own survival now. It's not like the old, you know, the old days in ancient times when, you know, we were worried about, you know, getting eaten by a wolf or, we, you know, we were going to, starve because you know locusts came and took our crops or something you know with the way that you know we've set things up with technology we are the danger now so consequently we have to actually do some work in order to put the earth back into harmony we've 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 went over that tipping point where we could just kind of just let it go and it'll fix itself that's not going to happen so we're going to have to be actively involved with helping to fix it now um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to put it up in the, in the post, but there was a great quote about, um, you know, from, uh, Dr. Dr. Stephen Heller, remember in that book and that spiritual ecology book, and he talks about becoming an alchemist and, you know, healing, he really healing, you know, healing earth and healing the nature, nature through kind of, you know, freeing the, the sparks of divinity within, and we have to be active sort of alchemists with the earth now, right? Well, we do, and it takes this transformative uh, act, you know, is to take what's already there and then changing it, because alchemically, that's how we've gotten in this mess. We've taken the raw materials, and we've fashioned and constructed a way of really destroying our habitat uh, and polluting our minds as we're, we're polluting the earth. Uh, and it's going to take some work to go back. And yes, we have to give some of it back to the earth because we took uh, really more than our share. Um, you know, and even the way, I think this whole, this kind of com comes down to this um, natural order, I think you said. Uh, it's not that we're going to live in nature and we're going to hand weave our baskets and sleep on a mat made of palm fronds and you know, fish every day for whatever we need. Uh, it's how we go about doing things. It's the manner in which we approach ourselves and our world. And the lesson we learn from nature, as you were saying that it's only you know, when something dies <laughs> that the vultures can have a meal. Yeah. Nothing is wasted um, and it, it, they don't overfish, they don't overfeed. Mm -hmm. Lions don't, you know, kill 30 zebras and eat one of them and let the rest rot. Um, and they also don't pick from the top of the food chain. You know, they're not going to get the alpha <laughs> zebra, uh, hopefully, you know, the nature provides a way that they don't. So the zebras can continue to uh, regenerate and repopulate and provide more food, I guess, uh, without really destroying the strength uh, of their species. You know, it's really making the most out of the least. And we can look at nature and say, well, gosh, this, you know, this lion jumps on top of this, this zebra and, you know, it stinks its teeth into and it's brutal and it's bloody and it's raw and it's, oh my, it's screaming and it's, it's horrible. Uh, yeah, that's pretty frightening. And we don't want to live like that. But if you step back and really look at nature, yes, the act of survival 
in the natural world can be pretty brutal, um, but it's also very, very benevolent. Again, with this no waste, this overkilling, we're overfishing the seas. You don't see sharks do that. I had an experience uh, diving in, uh, in the Bahamas on a shipwreck and there were all these barracudas, this is kind of my first time, there's all these barracuda kind of hanging around the periphery of the wreck because it was only like in 20 feet of water so you could just snorkel on it. And there was, you know, a zillion, it was like coral reef. There's all these fish and crab and all different kinds of stuff, lobsters, uh, all these wonderful things that I'm sure a barracuda would love to eat, but they were just waiting. They were waiting. They could have eaten anything there, but they wouldn't until they get the distress signal that a fish is dying or got speared or uh, injured or something like that. Then they go into action and then they get to have a meal. Um, but even though they had the ability to destroy and overeat and kill everything on that coral reef on the shipwreck, they didn't, they just waited. And maybe some of them died waiting, I don't know. Uh, but that's how nature works. Yeah, yeah, there's there's that there's a natural instinctive order to to keep to keep the balance, isn't there? And it seems like we've we've kind of lost touch with that. Um, something like cows. Let's talk about uh, you know the cattle industry. Um, okay, say you want to raise cows or you know support people who do, and you want to kill them and eat them. You know, right now that's that's fine. That's a choice if you if you want to make that. Um, but the way we're raising and feeding cows uh, is not the natural way cows are supposed to live. Um, so we're twisting and contorting the natural order. We could have cows and raise them and feed them and graze them sustainably. That helps other animals if it's done right, if you, you know, rotate grazing lands and bring in other animals afterwards to make use of what they left behind. Could do it in an efficient way that is that can actually maybe make more food than doing these factory farms. So we ourselves by doing things in this manufacturing, you know, assembly line kind of way. It works great for if you're pumping out a bunch of Model Ts, but um, it seems like it works for a while when you're raising a bunch of chickens and livestock, um, but we are suffering the, the consequences and the results um, of doing it in an improper way. So again, it's not about not being able to do some of the things or even eat some of the things. It's the manner in which we do it. Uh, if we can align more with that natural way, we can receive the benefits and the bounty that nature has to offer. And we can give back by at the very least, not doing any harm, any further harm. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we can, uh, you know, and then we can do our part uh, to to try to actively, you know, do the healing work that needs to be done as well. Um, and there's, you know, there's plenty of uh, great information about, like I said, permaculture is one movement that has uh, a sustainability model uh, and, you know, ethic as its, you know, as its guiding principle. Um, biodynamic farming is like the most, a lot of the organic farming and Anything you know? Really, the, the 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 idea is sustainability, and that's really what the the Earth is all about. It's about um, you know, it's about living in harmony with the cycles of nature. So you're returning the surplus back to the Earth. You know, you're living in a in a in a way where the flow of waste is used to you know to fertilize things, and and you're not creating a bunch of a bunch of materials that can't be 
naturally kind of um, reintegrated into the environment, let's say, uh, you know, and you're, and you're creating a system that, um, you know, is self-perpetuating basically, you know, it, it's all that it needs unto itself. So it's, it's a different way of doing things, you know, it's putting yourself again in that natural healing harmony of how the earth works, you know, for example, like a forest, you know, if, uh, you know, if something, something falls from, from a tree or some, you know, uh, the birds, you know, poop on the ground, uh, squirrels poop on the ground and they, they eat berries and then they take seeds around and like, there's a whole process of what's going on, feeding this whole system. It's a, it's a kind of a closed loop system. We've imposed a certain order onto the way that we're doing things in agriculture, especially, uh, that is just, it just does not right. It doesn't work. You know, it looks like it works, but the food that you get from the grocery store, I mean, for the most part, if you if 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 you're older than 40 years old, you will remember that the vegetables that used to come from the grocery store uh, tasted much different than they do today. Uh, most of the food, unless you're buying really organic or, you know, some sort of, um, you know, heirloom type type vegetable, it just I mean, it tastes awful, you know, and, and the, there's no nutrients in it. And it's like because again, it's this whole system-wide thing, you know, the soil that those, those, those um, vegetables are grown in has no nutrients in it. So those plants can't get any of the nutrients that they need. They don't, they don't, you know, they don't produce them. So are they not able to feed, you know, feed from the soil to get those? Uh, so, so, you know, it's a whole, it's a process, it's a process. So let's, let's think about this healing power in nature. I'm going to kind of wrap it up then. Uh, do you have any other, uh, main points that you wanted to make? Was there anything we didn't hit that you wanted to get to? Uh, yeah, actually. And then, you know, then go ahead and wrap it up after I'm done with this point. Uh, we touched on it about how we have to find our inner Walden that we have to retreat maybe within ourselves in this wilderness, I think within our inner lives, uh, since we don't spend really much time with that uh, other than focusing on our troubles uh, or being troubled with somebody else's <laughs> activities. Um, it's almost as mysterious as this natural world, but it's, it's equally uh, a teacher, uh, a source of wisdom for us to learn more about ourselves. So all these things that we've been talking about, sustainability and crops and cows and, and things, it's how are we wasting our resources? Where are we overfeeding? Maybe on the news and gossip and things like that. Um, but these don't have the nutritional value as feeding on maybe some philosophy, uh, some ancient wisdom, uh, great uh, spiritual uh, texts and ideas going back thousands of years and more recent. Um, we are living the same way psychically in our inner lives with our thoughts with our feelings with our attitudes with our speech with what we consume through all our senses very much the same way we're acting out in the world with nature with resources with the environment um, with food production and consumption there's really a stark parallel there and I think, you know, this is where this all leads, uh, but we can also start from there too. You know, it may not be practical to get out in nature um, this afternoon or tomorrow morning, 
but this afternoon or tomorrow morning, um, maybe you can take a little retreat, a little mental, a little psychic retreat into yourself, turn off the thought stream or let it go by and sit on the bank and, and just and watch all these thoughts go. And don't grab onto them, don't harbor them. Let the resentments and the pains and the guilts and the hatreds uh, and the animosities and all these things, uh, they're not, they're polluting our internal psychic environment. And I think we can return to our own natural state just like we can do with the earth and the environment with our own natural state of being and get in touch with that and have that lead the way. And we can learn that from nature and we can learn that from being quiet within and getting in tune with that infinite part of ourselves. Very good point. I love it. Uh, and, and I'll give a last little piece of advice too: get your own house in order. Uh, grow a garden in your own backyard or on your patio. Grow some food. Get in touch with uh, that part of yourself that wants to be uh, more self-sufficient. And believe me, as you do so, as I'm finding out, uh, you will want to do more. Uh, that's the interesting thing about it. You realize that this is a part of yourself that, like, even if you're someone who doesn't think you can grow stuff, uh, there's something in you that just inherently... Uh, you know, once you get your hands uh, in the earth and stuff, there's a part of us that just kind of knows what to do. And, you know, it's a trial and error process, of course, but it's one of these things that can make a great difference in your life, um, you know, your own attitude and your own connection to the earth and so on. Uh, so thank you, Chris. Great work. Um, we want, uh, please check out uh, the, the video uh, that Chris put up. Um, are you going to put up the transcript as well? Yeah, that'll be at uh, manlyhallsociety.com. Okay, perfect. So they can check that out at manlyhallsociety.com. And then, of course, you've got the, uh, the YouTube uh, channel, Manly Hall Society, and this is the uh, uh, Healing Power of Nature uh, on Thoreau's Walden. Please uh, check out Thoreau's uh, uh, book, Walden. Uh, I am I'm going to pick a copy of that up and, and definitely read it. Uh, after listening to this lecture and discussing it and, you know, uh, working on some of these ideas, uh, really a, a book that was uh, well ahead of its time and very influential in the ecological movement, spiritual movements uh, in the United States. So a nice piece of history and uh, still relevant today. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We're at CosmicEye.org or at anchor.fm slash CosmicEye if you'd like to make a donation. Chris's book is The Spirit in the Sky. Mine is If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. Uh, thank you again, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we will be back next week with another great show. So have a great week. Uh, goodbye and God bless.